I've entitled this morning's message, Seeing Jesus as King. Um, we're going to talk about religion and politics this morning. How many here know somebody that says, I don't want to talk about religion or politics? You have somebody in your family like that. Really? Wow. Don't talk religion or politics. So we're going to talk about religion and politics this morning. Um, you know, this week was a, a, a big week. There was a nomination for a, a Supreme Court uh, judge that was nominated. And how many of you all knew that? I would ask how many of you all didn't know that, but it's... It's national news. It, this is kind of big news, and there's a lot of controversy, and there's different uh, different opinions on the on the pick and, and the process. And when you look at our nation, it doesn't <clears throat> take a lot of imagination to see that there's a lot of unrest, that there's a lot of uneasiness, that there's a lot of uh, I would say just out and out rebellion in different facets and different arenas, and and so they're they're. There's many people who want to redefine truth and they want to redefine justice and order. And so we elect and we appoint judges in our nation to help rule and to keep law and order. You know, there's a book in the Bible called Judges. How many of you all know that? It's the uh, seventh book in the Bible. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then you've got Joshua, who took the reins, the baton from Moses, and he led the people into the promised land, and, and these are the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel settled in their territory, in the land that God promised them. And, and the book of Judges then follows, or it, it chrono, uh, there's a, a, a chronology or a, a storyline of about 350 years of the nation of Israel first of all, seeking the heart of God, and they saw God move in their midst, and the very fact that they were in this promised land that was described as a land that's flowing with milk and honey, they, they recognized the hand of God on, on their lives and the favor. But after a while, they began to, to start to settle in, and they started to take their eyes off of God. And they began comfortable with where they were, and they started to, to idolize the things that were given to them. And pretty soon they started following different idols and pursuing different things. And, and it was a matter of time that they, they were just so ungodly that God brought in, in, in neighboring nations to, to harass them, to bring judgment on them. And the people of, of Israel would cry out to God and they would, they would say, oh God, help us. And they would be like in a crisis time and God would bring up or he would rise up a judge. And so this would happen, and the people would repent. They would get their hearts right back with God. And, but then after a few years or a couple decades, sometimes the people would fall right back into the same pattern. And they would turn their backs on God and serve other idols and, and different forms of religion. And, and God would, again, bring judgment, usually by the hand of a neighboring nation. And again, the people would cry out, and, and it began this cycle. So if you study the book of Judges, it's a book of cycles where the people would just cry out in crisis, God would respond and deliver them, and then they would just fall right back into the same pattern. And, and so this, this crazy cycle was going on for a period of about 350 years, and, and they would just cry out in times of crisis. Isn't that a little bit similar to our nation as well? When crisis happens, when there's some big news event, more people go to church, more people pray. And even at the, at the smaller level, just in our individual lives, when something happens that doesn't go according to plan, we, we press in and we, we seek the heart of God. And so there's, there's some similarities. And, and we can point to all different types of reasons within a nation as to why it goes downhill and why they, people turn their backs on God and why the chaos and why the disorder. And, and I really believe that we can relate to the book of Judges. Now, in the book of Judges, the very last chapter, the very last verse, and I think the verses are going to be coming up here where you can follow along. There's going to be several different passages of Scripture that we're going to look at. But the very last verse of the book of Judges really summarizes this this couple hundred year period, and why all the chaos? It says in verse 25 of Judges 21, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so there was a very independent, 
mindset. You don't tell me what to do. Nobody tells me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. Everybody did what they felt was right. Whatever was, was their source of truth, whatever was, what felt right to them, they did it. And friends, this can be toxic to a nation. Amen? But this can also be toxic to the body of Christ. This independent mindset, you know, we, we just praise Jesus. It's really, it's, it's common for us to look to Jesus and, and identify him as Savior, which he is. And we can praise him for being our Savior. He saved us from our sins. He saved us from the, the penalty of sin and the power of sin and, and one day from the presence of sin. And we can praise him for being our Redeemer and for being our healer and for being the Prince of Peace. But do we recognize Jesus as our King? as our king. Do we, do we recognize him as king? You see, it's critical we never forget that we honor him as king. We just played music and, and we sang songs and praises to the king of kings. We just had this, this, this opportunity, each and every one of us, in the last half hour, 40 minutes, each and every one of us had an opportunity to express our adoration and honor and praise to the King of Kings. Did you take it? Did you take that opportunity? You see, the book of Revelation in chapter 4, John gives this vision of, of what's going on around the throne room of God. And it says that there's, there's four living creatures in chapter 4. In verse 8, there's that, that they're each having six wings and they're full of eyes around and within and they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it goes on to say, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down before Him who sits on the throne and they worship Him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your, by your will they exist and were created. And you know what the funny thing is? These were creatures who were not redeemed like us. We've been redeemed. How many of you are grateful for your redemption? Woo! We have a, a word from, from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his friend Timothy, and he's reflecting a little bit on his life before he knew Jesus. He knew that he was an arrogant man and that he was pursuing religion and he was pursuing things that would elevate himself. And God, in his mercy and in his grace, he reached down and he had a visitation with Paul. It's recorded in Acts chapter 9. And as Paul's writing this letter to Timothy about his past and, and how God has redeemed him, he just like interrupts his letter and he says in verse 17 in 1 Timothy 1, he says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I have to believe that as Paul was writing that, he put his pen down and just praise God. Praise the King. This, is, this was the heart of Paul. And you see, we can come together and we can give honor and praise to our King in a service like this. But friends, it's just as important that after the service that we honor Him as King. And tomorrow morning and Tuesday afternoon and, and, and Thursday evening. You see, sometimes Followers of Christ seem to forget that Jesus is king. In the, in the U.S., in our country, we have a little bit of a challenge with this king mindset, especially in light of, of how people in general in our, in our culture, how they disrespect and mock the, the leaders of our nation. And it's not just right now, it's, it's been going on for a long time, for years, and, and it's been escalating over the decades, and, and people begin to, to mock and, 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 and disrespect. And friends, when we see this in our culture all the time, it can dilute the, the prominence of the position and, and into something ordinary or optional to honor. 
There's people who the President of the United States could walk in and they wouldn't budge and they would say, I'm not going to give him a, 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 any of my attention. You see, it's a position, though. And so this culture has, is, is something that we're a part of. And so there's this, there's this putting the thumb on, on reverencing and honor that position. You see, when we look into the Word of God, we see that the word kings is mentioned over 2,000 times from Genesis to Revelation. Kings, kings, kings. And, and, and there were some good kings in, in the Bible, and there were some bad kings. There were some kings who were righteous, and there were some who were very ungodly. There were some who were very wise kings, and there were other kings who were very foolish. There were some real young kings, and there were some old kings. There were, there were kings who were, who were victorious, and there were kings who were defeated. Some were very proud, and some were very humble. So there was a diversity of kings, but one thing in common with the kings was they ruled kingdoms. That's what a king does. A king rules a kingdom, and, and, and when we look at the, at the world stage right now, we look at, a, at, at the globe, and, and every, every area of land is part of a nation. We call kingdoms generally nations. But every, every bit of soil on this entire planet is, is part of a, a, of a kingdom. They each have their own name, and, and, and each one of these places have a leader, whether it's Brazil or France or Italy or, or Ghana or, or wherever. Every single person on this planet is part of a physical kingdom, unless you live in the ocean or something, right? Like SpongeBob, right? You have no idea, right? But everybody's a part of a kingdom. And not only is everybody part of a kingdom, but everybody is also part of a spiritual kingdom as well. In other words, every human being has dual citizenship. Every, every one, and, and according to the Word of God, there's only two spiritual kingdoms. One's under the rule of Satan himself. It's a, it's a kingdom of darkness. It's a kingdom of deception. And then there's the kingdom of God. So we have these two kingdoms, and, and, and we could have every people from under every, every nation. This room could be filled with every, every seat being from a different nation. And so there would be a diversity in physical kingdoms represented here. But everybody in this room would be either of the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of God. Everybody. There, there's, no third, there's no third kingdom. So if we're open... If we open to, the, to our, our word, the Bibles, and, and the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four Gospels, we read of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven mentioned over 100 times. Jesus talked about it repeatedly. In John chapter 18, when Jesus was standing before Pilate just hours before being put to death, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Now friends, although the kingdom of God is spiritual in nature, it has interactions with the world that we live in, with physical manifestations. So I'd like to address four questions this morning regarding the king, the kingdom. The first question is, where is the kingdom that Jesus is king over? Question number two, as king, does Jesus have an objective for his kingdom? Question number three, what resources has the king made available in the kingdom to fulfill the objective? And number four, what does Jesus expect of those in his kingdom? So the first question, where is the kingdom of God? Where is the kingdom of God? When Jesus came on the scene after his baptism and he started his public ministry in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, in verse 15, it says that Jesus came preaching. This was his word, proclaiming, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in this truth. Believe in this good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, key to understanding where the kingdom of God is in those two words. It's at hand. So, so Jesus wanted people to know that it was near. That's what at hand means. It, it's near. It's here. It's now. It's closer than they thought. In, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, 
In verse 1 it says, speaking of Jesus, when he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And then it goes on to say in verse 7, he said, and as you go preach, as you go preach, in other words proclaim, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it says in verse 8, heal the sick, Jesus continued talking, saying, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. And so what we see here is Jesus imparted the anointing of the Holy Spirit that was on him to them. He said, I want you to take this anointing, and friends, in that, in that they were carriers of the anointing of the Spirit, they were they were able to accurately say, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. You see, when we think kingdom of heaven, when we think kingdom of heaven, we need to think prevailing presence rather than a stationary place or a destination. It's the prevailing presence. It's, it's not necessarily a destination. You see, that is the essence of where the kingdom of God is. Wherever the ruling presence of the Spirit of God is, that's, that's where the kingdom of God is. Where, wherever the ruling presence of the Spirit of God is. So, so Jesus linked the kingdom of God to the activity of the Spirit of God being released through the people of God. The kingdom of God... Okay, the, the kingdom of God to the activity of the Spirit of God being released through the people of God. And friends, that whole, the, the same Holy Spirit that was upon Jesus is in within each and every person who has received Christ as, as their Savior and Lord. When Jesus walked the earth, he was hosting. He was hosting the, the Spirit of God upon uh, his physical human body. In other words, the kingdom of God is mobile, right? It's mobile. And, and, and this is one of those reasons why I, I say this repeatedly to followers of Christ is, is we need to look at each day as a field trip with the Holy Spirit because we are carriers of the presence of God. And, and God sends us places and, and, and he, he sends us into places who need a touch from Him. In Romans chapter 14, in verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit, he said, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's in the Holy Spirit. You see, when we're sensitive to the voice of the Spirit within us, when we recognize His voice that He's leading and guiding and, and, and directing us, He will direct us to those who are not right with God to those who are lacking peace, to those who are, who are lacking joy in their lives. And, and this could be for a, a, a variety of reasons. But he wants us to lead us to different people. You see, the Spirit working through us is what establishes the kingdom of God around us. It's, it's when we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us, then we are establishing the kingdom of God around us. You see, many are plagued with the effects of the kingdom of darkness, and they don't know there's a solution. How many of you all, before you met Christ, you were plagued with, with problems and you didn't know there was a solution? You thought, I'm stuck with this. This was the, this was the, the, the hand I got dealt, and i got to take it to my grave. And you've been set free, you've been delivered, you've been, you've been transformed. You see, this is why Jesus sent his followers to the hurting to the sick, to the needy, to those who felt stuck because there was a, a freedom and a joy that he knew would be released into their lives. There's freedom and there's joy in the kingdom of God. Praise God. It's not a, it's not a dungy, dreary kingdom. Okay, which leads us to question number two. As king, does Jesus have an objective for his kingdom? The answer to that is a resounding yes. Absolutely he does. The king has objectives. The heart of our king is set on seeing every human being living the abundant life. And that abundant life is found in an intimate relationship with Jesus the king. 
That's what he wants. That's his, his heart's desire. It's being set free from the powers of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the Son. That's his plan. So it's it's a change of of, of citizenship. And and when a person is set free, uh, a person is set free when they hear, when they they understand, and when they embrace truth rather than deception. Deception uh, about their created value. Deception about the loving kindness of God. Deception about the plans and the purposes of God. Deception about sin and, and shame and guilt. Deception about sickness and and death and a future judgment day. This is why Jesus said with bold confidence in John chapter 8, He said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Not just set you free, but make you free. To live in that freedom. That's, That's what truth does. Again, when Jesus was standing before Pilate, the night He was, He was, or the day He was crucified, in John 18 and verse 37, Pilate said to Jesus, Are you a king then? They're in this dialogue. And Jesus answered and said, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. He said, I've come to set the, the truth straight. You see, friends, the reality is our world is flooded with deception. And, 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 and when we get to display the truth, we get to display the truth of what God is like. That God is love. That God is faithful. That God is good. That God is patient. That He's merciful. That He's powerful. And this truth is what sets free. Getting this word out and, and demonstrating it is what opens the eyes of people's hearts. And the kingdom of God gets to expand. It, it gets to grow. It, 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 it changes hearts from hopelessness to filled with hope. The eternal purpose of God, wanting to create an everlasting family that would be holy and blameless. I expounded on this a few weeks ago from Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 4. It, it says, He chose us. This is God's plan. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before He said, let there be light, He saw every one of us. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy. In other words, set apart for Him. And without blame. In other words, there's, 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 no, there's no guilt, there's no shame. We're whole, body, soul, and spirit. We're whole, we're free. This is His plan, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption. He wants to adopt us as sons and daughters by Christ Jesus to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. You see, friends, one big, huge family. That's God's desire. That's His desire for the kingdom set apart for Him. And it's through Jesus, the the King. And that's the objective. It's knowing Him. This is why, first, why John wrote in his, in, in his letter, 1 John chapter 5, he said, He who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son does not have life. He who does not have the Son might have a cheap counterfeit, and they think this is life, but it's not. You see, according to the Word of God, in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, it says that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the, the truth. This is the heartbeat of our king. It's the expansion of his family. This is what what makes the the heart of Jesus pump. This is what creates celebration in the heavenlies and the angelic realm. When one sinner repents, it's like, yay, there's a celebration going on. It never gets old in the heavenlies. You see, there's a spiritual battle going on, though, for the souls of mankind, for each and every one of us. And our king is expecting us as citizens of his kingdom to be about his business. The word of God says that our king is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That that all should. Being a part of the kingdom of God includes actively engaging the powers of darkness that are robbing and, and stealing and destroying so many lives. 
those actively engaged in the kingdom of God are continually destroying the works of the devil, something that our King Jesus modeled for us when he walked this earth. He destroyed the works of the devil. And this is why the Apostle Paul wrote in his second letter to Timothy that no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And you see, this is where oftentimes the, the Christian church is susceptible to lose focus. We get, we get blasted with distractions that take our eyes off of of what's important to our king. We, we get caught up in life and we get caught up in chasing possessions. We get, we get caught up in, in stuff. And none of us are immune to these distractions that want to pull us away from focusing on our king and his objective. Whether it's hobbies or, or that time of the year or that season and we say, you know what, this is just what I do. It's, maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's, it's relationships or, or your children. Or, and, and I'm not saying these things aren't important, but, but we can take our eyes off and we can be distracted. We can fall in love with our jobs or work or, or keeping the house just perfect or the lawn manicured just right. And, and we, we, can, we can become obsessed with these things. And if we're not careful, they can begin to have a higher priority in our lives than the kingdom of God and our desire for Him. They can captivate our hearts if we're not careful, and they begin to come a form of idolatry. And you see, friends, this is why we must be so careful not to worship the gifts that God has entrusted with us instead of the gift giver. This is why we must be so careful to enjoy creation, but to not fall in love with creation and ignore the Creator. Amen? I mean, I love this this time of the year where we get to go outside and just enjoy the creation. But friends, if our heart doesn't go back to the Creator, we're missing it. We're missing it. We're falling in love. You see, there is always something competing to sit on the throne of our hearts. Always something. There's always one. There's something that wants to just bump Jesus off the throne and say, you know, focus on me. Focus on me, this spell of your life. Repeatedly, we are reminded throughout the Bible to set our minds on things above and not on things of the earth. Now, some might say, well, is it really worth it? Well, Jesus, Jesus answers this in Luke chapter 18. Jesus said in Luke 18 and verse 29 and 30, Jesus said, I assure you there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in an age to come everlasting life. Now, he's not saying walk out on your family, but he's saying in, in relation, in, in your perspective, that, that, that the kingdom of God rules. He surrounds us with family. That's great. He supplies us with, with stuff. That's great. He's a good God. But he wants us to keep our focus on him. Now, you might be saying, oh, pastor, are you saying as a citizen of the kingdom of God, I should be consumed with the expansion of the kingdom? That, it, that should just captivate my, my thoughts day in and day out? Is that what you're saying, pastor? I, I would just say, why don't you ask the king what he thinks? Jesus, what do you think? Are we being too radical for you? Are we being too fanatical about your whole kingdom thing? I mean, really, if we, just, if we ask God that, Jesus, are we being a little bit over the top with your, king and your, your kingdom and, and what you desire? You see, that leads us to question number three. What resources has the king made available in the kingdom to fulfill the objective? Who asked that question? It's a great one. What are the resources that God has given us? You see, our king Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. He's the one who fills us with his spirit. Jesus is the one who said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to empower you. It's not something you're going to have to work hard for or earn. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to empower you so you can be a witness unto me. And you see, friends, it's by the power of the Spirit within us and upon us that we, can, that we can be ambassadors for Christ. Right? You're hearing me? We, we can't be an ambassador if we're not empowered to represent him accurately. You see, this is a full-time role as a citizen of the kingdom of God. 
We can be a full-time truck driver and a full-time member of the kingdom of God. We can be a full-time nurse and a full-time member of the kingdom of God. We, we can be a, a full-time machine operator and a full-time kingdom of God. Th- this, is, this is how God says, I want this to work. And this is why we're encouraged and we're, we're challenged in the Word in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In other words, when we head out into our, into our daily routines, we say, King Jesus, this one's for you. And we punch the clock. We, when before we get in our car, we say, Lord King Jesus, this day is for you. It's in honor of you. I'm going to go live it out now for you. This is how we live out this verse that says, whatever we do in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to do what Jesus did when he walked this earth. He's the one who does this. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us with authority. He empowers us with authority to to counter and to destroy the works of the devil, whether it's sickness or or, or demonic uh, oppression or possession. All of this, this, this junk that the enemy throws at us, we have the authority. And that's why Jesus told his followers back in Matthew 10 and verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. Don't take what I give you and shove it in a pocket or or put it out on a table and study it and dissect it and talk about it and then just walk away from it. He said, no, freely give it. What do we say? Use it or lose it? I don't know if that's in the Bible or not, but the the principle is still there. you, you, You receive freely, freely give. The Holy Spirit empowers us with grace. The grace to forgive. Ooh, we need that one, don't we? The, the grace to love people who don't really always seem to reciprocate that. The, the grace to, to, to endure suffering, to persevere. The grace to resist temptation. The Spirit has empowered us with supernatural gifts, gifts of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, prophetic, miracles, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, to do battle in the, in the spiritual realm. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, to these believers in verse 3 of chapter 1. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So everything that we need, everything as subjects in this kingdom, God has supplied it to us. Everything we need. Every, every little thing that we need to expand the kingdom of God is right at our fingertips. It, it, it's, it's right there, or that verse needs to get eradicated and erased from the Word of God. We can't just pull that page out. There's, there's truth here. Our great King has also resourced His kingdom with gifts to the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 11 and 12, it says, He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I'm going to expound on those in a few weeks. These are gifts that God has given his church. Every every one of us has a special anointing from God. We have gifts, every one of us. There's no one excluded. We all have gifts. We have talents. We, We have abilities that God has entrusted us with, all to use for the kingdom of God and for the glory of our King. Everything we have, whether God gave you a noodle to to add numbers or to sell something or to, to fix something, whatever it is, or to nurture somebody, you know what, friends? God has given that to us so He can be glorified. These are tools that God has given us and our gracious King has entrusted them to our hands. Our gracious King has also resourced us with material blessings. Our vehicles, our, our homes, our, our properties, our businesses, our, our bank accounts, any asset that we have, any asset, any asset, the, the King is expecting us to use them for His purposes. One amen. All right. Everything that he entrusts us with. You take a balance sheet and you look at all your accounts and you look at your, everything in the asset account. Everything. 
he, are, we, are we leveraging it for the kingdom of God? He gives us bread and seed. And we need to distinguish those two things. We eat bread, and what do we do with seed? You plant it. You invest it. You expect a, a, a crop. Okay, so if we get, if we get a, a handful of, of seeds, some we grind up and we make it into bread and we eat it, we say, thank you, God, for my provision, the provision that you've made for me. But there's also the seed. And that seed is to be invested into the kingdom of God. Different proportions. We give cheerfully. We give, a, we give a, a, an amount that God puts on our hearts. What does this look like? You know, when our kids were young, we didn't give them an allowance. They didn't get paid for breathing. Okay? They had household responsibilities. And there's a chart on the fridge, and they got paid for doing something, something constructive. And when they got paid, they, they each had three envelopes. A third of whatever they got went into savings, a third went into spending, and a third went into the God envelope. And it, it came right back to the work of God. So they got, they got to keep two-thirds, 66%, and 33%. They said, you know what, I'm going to just give this right back to God, and I'm going to be happy that I got two-thirds. Because I've got, he's the one who graced me with the ability to do what I did to earn the whole amount to begin with. And so this is something we, we instilled in our kids, that you're not an owner, you're a steward for the kingdom of God. Everything you have, everything you ever will have is, is, is something that you are to, to steward and one day we will face the king and we will give an account. This is what his word says. It's a stewardship issue. The king has also equipped us with his word. His word is alive and it's powerful. It works in harmony with the spirit. The spirit works with the word. He does not work against the word or without the word. The word, it gives us direction. He gives this to us. It's not as a weapon to beat against another person. It's, it's a weapon that Jesus used against the powers of darkness. It gives us hope. It gives us instruction. It gives us a greater revelation of our God and His goodness. It gives us, it gives us warnings. It gives us a foundation. This is a great resource that God has given us. He said, here, you want to get to know me more? Spend some time in here. Spend some time in here. I want to reveal myself to you. And, and this is, so he's resourced us in so many ways, which brings us to question number four. What does King Jesus expect of those in his kingdom? And that answer is very, very simple. He simply expects us to love him in return. To love him in return. So, so how does that look? You see, our love for him is displayed in our willingness to believe in him. When we love him, Jesus said we will obey him and we will submit to his word. There's a difference between obedience and submission. Obedience is our actions and our behaviors. Submission is an attitude of the heart. He says, I want both. Sometimes you tell a small child to go do something and they grumble the whole time. They do it, but they didn't submit. They just obeyed, right? God says, I want you to obey, but I also want you to submit. I want you to do this cheerfully. I want you to do this with a, a heart filled with gratitude and praise. In other words, we trust in his character, and we allow him to reign and to rule us. The king has the final say. You might say, well, you know what? I don't get into this allowing Christ to rule my life. The word of God calls that an antichrist spirit. That's what an antichrist spirit is. It says, I'm not going to let him rule me. That's, that's an antichrist spirit. And so the question is, will we determine to allow him to reign and rule in our lives? He gave us his life so that we could be part of his everlasting kingdom. It's an amazing kingdom. It's an amazing kingdom to be a part of serving the amazing victorious king. It's an amazing life. It's an amazing way to live. And really, friends, it's the only way to live. It's the only way to live. Now you might be sitting here thinking, well, you know, this is great and, and I'm a part of this kingdom. Maybe you're not a part of his kingdom. And you might say, well, how do I become part of his kingdom? I don't know which kingdom I'm part of. I know I'm a citizen of this country or, or, or wherever, but I know the physical kingdom, but I don't know that I'm part of his spiritual kingdom. How do I, how do I step into this spiritual kingdom and, and allow him to be my king? Well, 
let me just say this, you have to be willing to die to get in. You've got to die to self. You have to die to pride. You have to die to religious efforts. There was a real religious guy who approached Jesus in John chapter 3. And he asked Jesus a question. He said, well, you know, you've got to be from God. And Jesus said, I surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus said. You have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. So how does that happen? It, it, it takes place when we recognize that God has made a provision. Our Father has made a provision. He sent His Son, and His Son came, and He said, I, I love mankind so much that I will, I will be obedient to the point of death. And I will take the, 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 the iniquities, and, and I, will, I will take the, the sin and all of the junk that people have done, and I'm going to take it to the grave. And it's going to be buried once for all. And I'm going to give my life as a sacrifice. And then he rose from the dead victorious over the powers of death and sin. And he ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's coming again for his people that are longing for his return. And when we believe what he did on that cross was absolutely sufficient, that there is nothing that we can add to that, and we humble ourselves, we say, Jesus, save me. We say, Jesus, I believe in you. Can we try that once? Jesus, I believe in you. Cleanse me. Redeem me. Change me. Make me who you created me to be. And after that, it's welcome to the kingdom. You see, religion complicates it. Religion says you've got to jump through this hoop, and then you've got to do this hoop, and then you've got to do this and this and this, and then hope you did enough. Really? How much is enough? That's why 1 John 5.13 says that we can know that we have eternal life. We can know that we have eternal life. So I just want to uh, challenge you with a couple questions, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come, come back forward. I believe the Lord is challenging us to a couple calls that you can, some of us will be able to identify. Just ask the Lord to speak to your heart even now. I believe the Lord is calling some of us to a fresh vision of recognizing Jesus as King. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And, and so maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're thinking, wow, I just never even thought of all this stuff that Pastor just shared that I don't honor and just worship him as king. Or maybe there's a, a call on, on, on you to, to take an assessment, or on all of us, to take an assessment of our, of our focus on life. Are we focusing on the temporal? Are we focusing on anything today that's going to matter in 100 years from now? Or is what we're focusing on have eternal significance in the kingdom of God? Think of your day. Think of your week. Think of last week. Think of last month. Think of this year. And friends, we all go through busy seasons. But has our busy season lasted for years and, and there's no change in sight? Is it possible that we're just really not even focusing on the kingdom of God? We're focusing on getting ahead. And I'm saying these things to myself too, friends. I'm not, I'm not preaching down at you. I'm just sharing what, what the Lord put on my heart that we can be distracted with stuff. I believe the Lord is also calling us to recognize and to embrace and to activate the, the gifts that the King has given us. He's given everybody something. And if it's sitting dormant and not producing, it, it's really a, a slap in the face of our King. He wants us to, to understand what it is and to embrace it and to, and to then to put it into use. I believe he's calling us to leverage all of our time and our, our talents, our skills, our abilities, and our treasures for the advancement of his kingdom. His eternal kingdom. 
And I believe he's sending out a call to a renewed passion for the expanding of the kingdom of God around us by allowing the spirit within us to be released through us. So maybe that's just your heart's cry is, Lord, increase the passion to allow your spirit to work through me. I ask that you would stand. We're going to worship worship our king, and, and then we'll wrap up. If the Lord is speaking to your heart and you want to come forward, just because you can, the altars are open, but let's praise our mighty God.
Father, we ask that you would give us this desire within our hearts to keep our hearts postured from this day forward, not on Sunday mornings only, but on Sunday afternoons and on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all throughout the week. Lord, that our knees would be bent symbolically, Lord, throughout the day as we as we interact with people, as we expand your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for this invitation to be a part of what you're doing, to be a part of you, and to allow your life to be revealed through us. We thank you for this front row seat that you have given us, that you've entrusted us with. May we be faithful so that each and every one of us will one day hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy and the richness of all that I have prepared for you. Oh, you're so good. You're so good. You're so good. It's a privilege to be a part of your kingdom, sir. We thank you, Father, for this amazing, brilliant plan of a king and a kingdom and empowering us to live that victorious Christian life. We thank you for adopting us into your family as your sons and your daughters. We're so blessed and we thank you hearts filled with praise. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.